Good to see you here and you online at home. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Esther chapter 9. We're going to look at the remaining portion of the book here as we bring our sermon series on the book of Esther to a close. Uh, I always sort of have a bittersweet experience with ending a sermon series because you kind of get friends with a book when you're in it for a while. So, But we don't have to say goodbye to this friend because it's in the Word of God and will be true forever. So uh, let's uh, take a look though. Kids, we're going to talk about celebration today. So the word of the day, if you're tracking it, is celebrate or celebration, any form of that word. You write that down, keep track of it, see how many you get. Uh, as we're turning there, let's just keep in mind, let's remember about what the book of Esther has been about. It's this amazing story, this fantastic story about the providence of God in protecting his people, providing for his people. It's a story about how God's people at one point were under the threat of annihilation, under the fear of being totally destroyed by the Persians, and God in his Providence raised up people to play critical roles in the deliverance of God's people, Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And one of the things I love about the way the book of Esther ends is that it comes to a conclusion with this huge celebration. They're celebrating the providence of God and what he's done for them. And, you know, as we talk about celebration this morning, I have to acknowledge that it was not my plan that we would talk about celebration on the Sunday of which in the evening we have a celebration, we have a Thanksgiving service, and in just days before we celebrate Thanksgiving. I, I, will, I, I wish I had planned that because that would make me look good, but uh, it's actually the providence of God. When we mapped out this series, I did not realize that this would all uh, come together the way it did, so thank the Lord for that. And as we're thinking about these things, I want to add a little pop quiz before I read this passage. Uh, what is something that positively impacts your physical health, your mental health, your family relationships, and your community relationships? Yeah, somebody said it because you were listening. Celebrating. Okay, so let's take a look and hear from the Lord today and just see the importance of celebration in the life of people who are following Christ. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. I'm going to read Esther chapter 9, just verses 20 to 22, and then verse 27. It says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar, and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Verse 27. The Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, 
we do thank you for your word and how you speak to us even today in it and through it and through the work of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we do pray that you'll help us to see in this passage and in this book things that will help us know our God more, worship him more deeply, be set free from the things we tend to idolize, and instead continue to turn our eyes onto Christ. Would you help us see him even in this passage today? We pray these things for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. I don't know if we realize how important celebrating actually is. Like I know that there's a lot of us who you know, really like to get together and celebrate and do stuff, and some of us maybe struggle with that. But as I studied this passage this week, I really saw the importance of celebration. And as I was looking to see what others have said about celebration, it's interesting because even in secular psychology, there is a strong push for celebration. Listen to this. According to social psychology researcher Fred Bryant and others, when we stop to savor the good stuff, in other words, when we celebrate things in our lives, when we stop to savor the good stuff, we buffer ourselves against the bad and build, build resilience. And even many celebrations can plump up the positive emotions which make it easier to manage the daily challenges that cause major stress. So even in secular psychology, there's this emphasis on the importance of celebrating. One source also says that celebrating impacts your physical health, your mental health, your family relationships, and your community relationships. Now, some of you might be saying, well, when I celebrate things with my family, when I get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I'm not sure that always helps my family relationships. But what people have realized is that there is a powerful impact of celebration on the lives of human beings. And uh, it, what's interesting is this is just psychology catching up with Almighty God, who has taught us to be a celebrating people, and primarily to celebrate Him and celebrate His providence. And so all through this book, we've been talking about the providence of God, His sovereign governing of all things for His glory and for our ultimate good, our blessing, ultimate blessing. And this morning, we see that God's providence has culminated now in his people being delivered from their enemies and celebrated. And so our main focus for this morning is that because of God's providence, we should be a church that celebrates well. Because of the providence of God, we should be a church that celebrates well. And there's just two things out of this passage I want to pull out and look at uh, in order that we can learn how to celebrate well, how to be a church that celebrates well. We're going to do two things. Number one, we'll see that if we're going to be a church that celebrates well, we're going to have to remember something, and then we're also going to have to recommit to something. So if you're making an outline, we're going to remember something, and we're going to recommit to something. Look at verse 22. First thing we want to see this morning is that if we want to be a church that celebrates well, we need to remember God's providential blessing. If you look at verse 22, what's happening is uh, they've been delivered from their enemies now, and Mordecai writes this letter that's going to go all over the provinces so that everybody hears that they've been delivered, and he's going to initiate this celebration, this holiday. 
But notice what the focus is. Verse 22 says that they're going to remember these things as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. So the emphasis here is there's, this is going to be something now going forward, this holiday of Purim that they're establishing. It's going to be something designed to help them remember that God delivered them from their enemies. And they're going to have this holiday, and it's going to have feasting and gladness. And they're even going to give gifts of food to one another and to the poor. Also that they can remember in God's providence they were got relief from their enemies. Now here's what's interesting about this. This fits right in line with what you see throughout the whole Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you see a number of places where God's people are called to celebrate, called to have festivals and feasts. I mean, it's all throughout. In fact, God not only calls his people to obey him morally, but he also calls them to celebrate, to remember the things that he has done. For example, some of you are probably aware that there's seven major feasts and festivals that the Jews would celebrate through the year. Like, for example, Passover. The celebration of Passover was designed to be something that would help them remember that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Number two, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also another event that was designed to remind God's people that he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. But then there's also, number three, the Festival of First Fruits, which you read about in Leviticus 23. And that was one of several harvest celebrations, days of celebrating the harvest. And then there's the Number four, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. Yet another harvest celebration. They would celebrate God's providence through the harvest at the beginning and again at the end of the harvest. There was, number five, the Feast of Trumpets. This was this big party where they would blow these trumpets and then nobody would work. It was meant to be a reminder that God had given them rest. There's, of course, the Day of Atonement, which we learn about in Leviticus 16. This was a celebration of God's forgiveness and that it comes to his people through a sacrifice. And then, of course, there's also the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, which the book of Leviticus also talks about. And again, it's, it's a celebration that God's people were instructed to enjoy, celebrating his providence, him providing for them when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. So... I think we often miss this, but the, the Old Testament is absolutely full of celebration. God wanting his people, calling his people to celebrate, to invest time and resources in being together and celebrating. Why? Well, most likely because God knows that as human beings, there are great benefits to us physically and mentally uh, in our family relationships and in our community relationships when we are celebrating together. If you think about it, when, you, when a lot of people are celebrating something together, it does create a bond. Even if you don't know somebody. Right? Like, so if you were to go downtown in non-pandemic times and find a crowd of people and run into that crowd of people and start saying, high five, let's chest bump, hey, what's going to happen? That's right, you get arrested, okay? So don't do that. Now, if you're at... You're an Orlando City game. You can say that louder. Yeah. And, 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 and you're there when they just won 
and everybody is celebrating and everybody is joyful, guess what? You're high-fiving and you're chest-bumping people you don't even know. Why? Because of the way celebrating impacts your bond with the people that you're celebrating with. So it does. It, it has, there's physical benefits. There's mental benefits. There's community benefits. Celebrating together actually has a powerful bonding agent aspect to it. And here's what's also so important for us to remember and to realize. Uh, as we celebrate, we now, on the other side of the cross, we actually know what all these celebrations were actually about. We know that all of these celebrations in the Old Testament, including Purim, which was established here at the book of, end of the book of Esther, are all ultimately pointing us to Christ. If we had more time, and I would love to do this, you can look at all of the celebrations, all the feasts and festivals of the Old Testament through which the people were supposed to be remembering the providence of God, remembering His blessings in their life. You can look at each one, and there's a clear path to the cross, teaching us that all of those Old Testament fe feasts and festivals will, were ultimately signposts pointing to the arrival of Christ and His life, death, burial, and resurrection. So even... Just think about one of the easiest ones is Passover. We know Passover celebration, they sacrificed a lamb. And it was the blood of the lamb that caused them to have God's judgment pass over them. And of course, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, that Christ is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed. And so again, we could go through all of these Old Testament feasts and festivals and celebrations and we could see that they ultimately all point us directly to Christ. And Purim does as well, this celebration that they establish here at the end of the book of Esther. Why? Well, because Purim was this holiday they set up to be something that helped them remember God's providential blessing, ultimately to help them remember that God gave them relief from their enemies. Well, when did God give his people the ultimate relief from their ultimate enemy? It was at the cross and the resurrection of Christ, when Christ triumphed over our greatest enemies, sin and death, right? And so our whole faith is built on this belief that Christ has paid our debt so that through faith in him we're forgiven, we're declared righteous, we're promised eternal life. That's when we were delivered from our ultimate enemies, and that's why we have to understand that all of these Old Testament feasts and festivals actually pointed to him, pointed to Christ, Look, if you drive somewhere for Thanksgiving, notice the signs along the way. And you know how you keep seeing the signs? You're not there yet. The sign is not the destination. It's pointing you to the destination. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the ultimate destination of Christ. And so, how do you apply that? Well, we have to understand then that God wants us to be celebrating, but he wants us to ultimately be celebrating the ultimate providential blessing that he has bestowed upon us, which is, of course, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, our Savior. And what I would submit to you is God wants us to be celebrating him, celebrating Christ, not for his sake, but for ours. It's part of how he transforms who we are. Which is why, so if we're going to remember something, we have to remember something. We've got to remember the gospel. We also need to recommit ourselves to something. So number two this morning. If we want to celebrate well, we need to be recommitted. We need to recommit ourselves to celebrating together. Okay? And you're like, well, that's 
pretty simple. And it is. Yes, if we want to be a church that celebrates well, we have to recommit ourselves to doing that. And interestingly enough, we see this in this passage. So look at verse 25, the second part, where it says, Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them. So because of everything they've been through, and because of this good announcement that they've gotten relief from their enemies, look what it says, verse 27. The Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. Those are some interesting words. They firmly obligated themselves. They firmly obligated themselves to celebrate together. You know, I was thinking about this, and I remembered a few years ago when Pastor Mike Osborne retired, we had a party, a big one. And it was over there, and there was music, and we had food and a cake shaped like a guitar. I mean, it was awesome. And we had a really good time celebrating the th ways that God had providentially blessed our church through Mike's ministry here. And... I was struck by the number of times people came up to me and said, you know, we should do this more often. And I agree. We should do this more often. I don't know that we are as committed to celebrating together as we could be or should be and would benefit from. Think about this. According to research uh, conducted by professors Dr. Robert A. Emons and Dr. Michael McCullough, uh, of the University of California and University of Miami. They say people who celebrate more have more energy, less stress and anxiety, exercise more frequently, sleep better, have improved physical health, and this is amazing, and they're more likely to help others. That's pretty interesting. People who celebrate more are themselves more healthy mentally and emotionally, but they're also more likely to help others. Now, is that true? Do we see this in the text? Yes. Verse 22. Look at the end of verse 22. They, this holiday was going to be about days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Oh, wow. We have a God who calls us to celebrate because of what it does within us. He wants us to be committed to celebrating together and ultimately selling, celebrating the gospel together because it's part of how he transforms who we are and increases our impact on the people around us because we become more likely to help others. Once again, secular psychology is slowly catching up to what God has said for thousands of years. Okay, so how do we apply this? Well, as we saw a little bit ago, the Old Testament has a number of celebrations, feasts, and festivals that the people of God were uh, commanded to be a part of, that they wanted to be a part of. Even this Purim, they obligated themselves, they recommitted themselves to celebrating. The Old Testament has a number of those things, and what I would submit to you is the New Testament has 52. I'm going to wait and let the math sink in. 
52 times a year. God wants his people now on this side of the cross to absolutely celebrate. When, is, when are these days? Uh, we are in one right now. David Strain, when he, reads, or when he writes about the book of Esther in his commentary, he talks about how it, one of the purposes of the book of Esther was to establish this holiday so that the Jews would know where the holiday of Purim came from, okay, what, what they were celebrating. That's one of the reasons that the, the book of Esther was written. It was designed to help them remember the saving rest of God and then rejoice in it. And David Strain says, and this is what Christians do every Lord's Day. In other words, every Sunday. On the first day of the week when death was undone and the stone rolled away and life and immortality were brought to light in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we gather to remember the Sabbath rest of God and to rejoice. Sunday is our festival day. Every single week. He says the Christian Sabbath is our day for feasting and gladness, for giving and for celebration. Now listen, Sunday is to be a day of worship, and worship is not only celebration, but it is no less than celebration. And when you go somewhere knowing you're going to celebrate something, that changes the way you go. That changes the way you show up. It even changes the way you anticipate it. And we could be a church that says, well, you got to go to church on Sunday. That's what you got to do. Or we can say, man, I cannot wait to get together with my brothers and sisters in the room or online and celebrate the gospel together and sing like we're celebrating the gospel together and speak and preach like we're celebrating the gospel together. Uh, I love this. Ian DeGuid says this, there should constantly be a note of celebration and joy in our worship. For we remember the death from which we have been spared. He says a somber tone may be appropriate for a funeral, but not for a feast day. Our tongues should be filled with such rejoicing that we can hardly wait to burst into songs of praise to celebrate the great victory our God has won for us, turning death into life, darkness into light, the prospect of hell into the assurance of Again, in worship, celebrating isn't the only thing we're doing, but it is part of what we're doing. And we should have that view that God, all through the Old Testament, oh, they celebrated, they celebrated, they celebrated. Why? So that when we get to our time, we see the importance of celebration. We commit ourselves to being together to celebrate because of the impact that it has, because of the, what, what God does in us through that. Because again, remember, God does not call us to celebrate the gospel every Sunday and every other chance we get as well for his sake. It's for our sake. It's part of how he transforms who we are. It's part of how he makes us new through our celebrating, right? Because remember, what did the statistics show? When people celebrate more, they want to help others more. Yeah, when we celebrate the gospel more, we become more outward focused. We become more caring about who is in need. We become more willing to be sacrificial to meet the needs of those around us. So I was, came across this interesting story of a guy named Jacob Needleman. And uh, he was a, a writer, reporter. And he talks about how when he was present at the launch of Apollo 17 back in 1975. And here's what he says. He was an observer of Apollo 17, and he says it was a night launch, 
and uh, there were hundreds of really cynical reporters there in this lawn. Uh, he says they were drinking beer, wisecracking, waiting for this 35-story high rocket to try to get off the ground. And, um, and then he says that the countdown came, and then the launch, and he said the first thing that everyone saw was this, this extraordinarily bright orange light. It was so bright that it was almost too bright to look at. And he, everything was illuminated by this light as this rocket begins to take off. And then, he, then you, he said you saw this thing starting to rise slowly, but you didn't hear anything because it takes a few moments for the sound to catch up with what you can see. And then everybody's looking at this bright light in silence. All of a sudden, he says, whoosh, you get hit with this loud noise and even the feeling uh, of, of the rumble and all these things. And, and it's taking off. And he says it, the, the, the loudness and the, and the, the visual just kind of entered right into everybody there. It was powerful. He said you could hear people's jaws dropping open. The sense of wonder uh, filled everyone in the whole place as this thing was going up. The first stage ignited this beautiful blue flame, he said. It was like a star. And then he says, you realize, as he realized there was human beings on that thing, he was just absolutely blown away. And then it moves out of sight, and there was total silence. And he says, this is what got so interesting about that moment and that launch. Once that thing was out of sight, he said people started to get up quietly and they were helping one another. They were very kind to each other. They were opening doors for each other. They were looking at each other and speaking with one another with great interest in each other. And this is what he said. These are his words. He says, these, the people, these were suddenly moral people. Because of the sense of wonder, the experience of wonder had made them moral. Because they had seen this, uh, been in awe of this great sight together. It actually changed who they were for a moment, at least. And we have something <laughs> so more awesome, so more glorious than a rocket taking off. We have God Almighty sending his one and only son to pay our debt, to die for our sins, to take them upon himself and to take the righteousness that he had and give that to us. We have the son of God freeing us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin and the promise that through faith we can be guaranteed that one day he'll deliver us from the very presence of sin. And part of why God calls us to celebrate these things is because it's part of how he brings about our sanctification. As we celebrate together in worship, as we celebrate the gospel, as we commit ourselves to being here together, either in person or online, as we recommit ourselves to being together and celebrating, it's part of how he's making us into the people that he has intended us to be. So what I would say is this is such a beautiful call for us to be a church who recommits to being together in worship. And I know the pandemic places challenges on that, and everybody should operate according to their conscience. But don't lose sight of the fact that we need to be together. We need to be worshiping together. We need that celebrating element of our togetherness.
God wants that for us. He doesn't need it from us. He wants it for us so that the gospel sinks in more deeply, so that we experience even more of that gospel transformation that we know only God can bring about. So we want to be, if we're going to be a church that celebrates well, we've got to remember God's providential blessings, especially the gospel. And second, we've got to be a church that recommits ourselves to the importance of being together in weekly worship so that we can celebrate all that God has done for us in Christ. Happy celebrating. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us, having seen the importance of celebration and yet being in a pandemic, would you just work in us through the Holy Spirit as individuals, families, give us wisdom uh, that we might find ways to, to still celebrate you and the gospel at Thanksgiving, at Christmas. We need wisdom. We need direction from you, Lord. We, we ask that of you. But also, would you help us to see Sundays in a different light? Would you help us begin to uh, long to come and celebrate the good news of the gospel together? Would you help us to believe that it is true that as we celebrate you and your grace to us in Christ together, that it plays a part in how you make us new? And would you bless all of our celebrations that they might be centered on you, that they might bring glory to you and joy to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for our offering. And uh, in the story we just heard, God's people celebrated and gave radically because of the good news, because of the gospel of God's deliverance. And so that is what we're doing now, is we're giving the opportunity to reflect on how white, how we might offer our whole selves, every aspect of our being,